Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? This is DMC and a place to be. And right about now, the only place that you need to be is right here listening to Talking Metal. Hey, welcome to episode 420 of Talking Metal. We got a great show for you today, but let's start things off with Watchtower. This is Elliot Easton from The Cars on guitar. You got Daryl McDaniels on vocals along with Josh Todd. On bass, Tom Hamilton of Aerosmith. On drums, Joey Kramer of Aerosmith. This rocks. Roman Antonio also on guitar. Watchtower by DMC. In the Middle East, some punk rapper always has to be. What's going on with all the priests? Church should be shamed about what they did. First PlayStation never touched the kids. This revelation is a prophecy. The only way out is you and me. We gotta stay awake, can't go to sleep. The promise of the kids, I gotta keep. Life is rough enough on the street. I gotta make sure that we all can eat. Chuck said rappers like CNN. We keep tuning out instead of tuning in. While we're sleeping and watching us And instead of watching them, we're not waking up There must be some kind of way out of here Is that the joker to the beat? It's too much confusion I can't get no relief It's easy for a D to be the all-time great And I'll be the one they'll assassinate Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. My name is Mark Striegel. I'm so glad you can join us for this very special episode of Talking Metal. The one, the only, Daryl McDaniels, a.k.a. DMC from Run DMC. We all know that he revolutionized the world of rap music and hip-hop, but what you may or may not know is that this guy is a big rocker, too. He loves rock music, loves metal, and he is here to talk to us about all of that today. And, uh, man, I heard two songs that he's done with uh, Generation Kill, Rob Duke's band, formerly of, of Exodus, Rob Duke's. And, wow, it, they sound freaking phenomenal. I am not just saying that. I am uh, just dead serious. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to get DMC on the show today to tell you all about what he's up to with uh, Generation Kill. And, of course, while I had him at my house sitting on the couch in my living room, I just had to go into his deep history. I've been a longtime fan of Run DMC. And, wow, we get some incredible stuff in this interview. He admits to uh, being jealous of the Beastie Boys he talks about working with Biggie Smalls. He talks about just some of his uh, 
struggles with drugs and alcohol and suicidal thoughts and Sarah McLaughlin song saving his life this interview is off the hook guys one out of 500 and some episodes whatever this is 520 uh, this is one of my top favorite episodes here on talking metal and also joining Daryl McDaniels is Rob Machete from also from the band Generation Kill, Rob Dukes' band. And uh, yeah, Rob chimes in here and there and does a little talking during the interview. Not quite as much as as Daryl, but uh, he is a part of it. So I had both these guys sitting on my couch in my living room as my nephew and and brother kind of looked on and uh, after the interview had... Daryl signed way too many things, but uh, Daryl didn't care. He was great. I mean, it was insane. He was he gave me a 90-minute interview. Well, not quite 90 minutes, a little under 90 minutes, and then uh, hung out and had lunch with my family. So it, it was it was just a great day, and it'll always be remembered. And big thanks to DMC for coming over here to Maplewood, New Jersey, and doing this great Talking Metal interview. And by the way... DMC will be on that metal show on VH1 Classic in about two weeks, so do definitely tune in for that. We haven't shot it yet, but we are definitely going to be doing that. If you don't know, I'm the coordinating producer this this season on that metal show. I don't know if I'll be there next season. I'm uh, filling in for the old coordinating producer who is having a baby, So, uh, and I think she may have just had her baby, so I, I hope everything went well, and uh, congratulations to... Um, to her i don't want to mention her name just you know whatever uh yeah 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 yeah. so i would love to come back though if they want me for another season but i'm not sure if that'll happen and we're only just into the 14th season just now i'll still be there through through may cranking out these episodes and providing you with a lot of great online content on youtube.com slash that metal show exclusive online content so check that out and before we get into talking with Rob Machete from Generation Kill and DMC from Run DMC, let's talk to the guy who set up this interview, my old friend, one of the coolest dudes I've met in in the whole uh, metal world, if you will, Rob Dukes. What a, what a great guy. And, and Rob, again, if you're listening, thank you so much for setting this interview up. Let's get into a little of your music right now. This song is called Carney Love by Generation Kill. Buy it on iTunes, guys. Show your support. And then we'll hear from Rob Dukes.
So before we get into the interview with Rob Machete from Generation Kill and Daryl McDaniels, DMC from Run DMC, I want to just check in with Rob Dukes, who helped set this whole thing up. Rob is on the line right now. Rob, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. How are you, dude? I'm just a little shell-shocked here. I, I, had, I had DMC in my living room today <laughs> for 90 minutes, giving me a 90-minute interview. Absolutely insane. Uh, I mean, if you would have told me when I was 14 years old I was going to be uh, having DMC in my living room for 90 minutes doing an interview and then having lunch with him in my kitchen with my kids and nephew, uh, I would have never believed it. So thank you for lining this up and setting this whole thing up. Yeah, well, you know, look, I, I feel you know, lucky myself that I've uh, I've met the man and have gotten to know him over the last you know uh, six months and and become you know like friends with him and to find out what a what a nice humble human being he is and how you know the spectrum of what he did in his life is just uh, you know I just feel honored and, and grateful that I even <clears throat> have the chance to work with him. So, yeah. You know, well, anything I you know. Yeah, the stuff you're doing, you you guys have played me two of the songs, and uh, Lot Lizard is the name of one of them, and the other is Fired Up. The stuff sounds just incredible. I can't wait for for people to hear this. And uh, you know, as as far as as far as your musical history goes, you've always seemed like a guy who listens to a wide variety of music. And I know you've been, you know, into the thrash stuff, into the classic rock stuff, into, you know, some some punk stuff here and there. But did you listen to rap and hip hop uh, when you were younger? When I was younger, no, I did not. Um, I was aware of it. I was, uh, you know, I I did like the Beastie Boys and I did like Run DMC. I did listen to them. I wasn't a huge proponent of it. I didn't really, if that's even a word, proponent. Is that a word? I don't think it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it is either. I think I just made that up. I, 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 you know, I had, um, I had the records and I had, or actually I think it was even beyond, I think I had the, the tapes. Right. So I had, you know, I had the, you know, uh, the one DMC, you know, first album. I had a bunch of the Beastie Boy stuff. And I think it wasn't until, you know, maybe my mid-20s that I, you know, realized. So I think I was about 25, and I just said, you know what, man, like, you know, there's a ton of music out there. And, and I would always listen to a wide variety of stuff. But I started listening to, like, Biggie and Dre, and I started listening to that whole era of Snoop. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't that something I listened to all the time, but I had the NWA records. I had uh, the Ghetto Boys, which was another band I really liked because they were right. so funny. You know, and I did, so I, I did cross that line in myself. And, you know, when I, you know, when I was driving in my car, like I said, if you saw my iPod, you'd be, you'd be, most thrash fans would be horrified. They're like, what? Yeah. You know, you know but uh, I, I don't really care. I mean, I just, I am who I am, and that's, I've never been one to shy away from that. I mean, my favorite, you know, albums are just weird, obscure albums that not a lot of people are even aware of, you know? So, yeah. you know, it, you know, I like Rain and Blood. It's not in my top 10, you yeah. know? Uh, 
you know, there's a there's a few bands that I like more. I just you know, I love Slayer and I love you know, I just, you know I love Exodus and I love the old stuff and the thrash, but it wasn't my whole plate. I listened to a ton of shit. So now you know now that you're out out of the Exodus fold and you're not doing that anymore. Do, do you in some ways feel more liberated that you could actually go and work with a guy like DMC or you could go work with somebody else who does a totally different style of music. Do you feel freer? Honestly, yes, man. I mean, uh, look, I'm not, I'm grateful for my years in Exodus and I, I learned a ton of stuff. Um, but honestly, it was very, it was very, uh, it was a very small community. You know what I mean? Right. You were, you're stuck doing one thing and you, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I would have done it. Had I met him in Silver Nexus, I still would have done this. And if they frowned upon it, then I would have, it would have crossed that bridge when it crossed that bridge. Right. You know, I would have done it anyway. I didn't, you know, I've never been one to shy away from, from a, a an argument. Um, but I just think that it's, you know, thrash is very, I, like, I never thought Generation Kill was a thrash band. Not no. even from the first stuff that we did, it was very different. It wasn't, I was, I was like, why do I want to be, I'm already in a thrash band. Why do I want to be in a thrash band? Like, I want to do something different. So Generation Kill was, from the very start, was, we had a ballad on there. We had some weird stuff. We had, like, you know, just weird stuff that, that you know, Exodus would never do. You know what I mean? Which, yeah. You know, bands like Slayer and Exodus, they, they do their one thing, and that's what they do. And, you know, I do. I feel more free. Um, I'm a much happier person, you know, in my life. I mean, I'm not going to go into particulars about what is, but, you know, as much as I was grateful for all the time I spent there, um, now that I'm out um, and I'm living the life that I'm living now, um, I'm a much happier person and I'm cool. much more at ease. So, cool. And that's not to say what you did with him, you know, wasn't anything but incredible because it was. You really put out some great stuff with them. But, you know, I think as an artist, uh, it's exciting to watch you grow with Generation Kill. And now we're going to get to see you grow with working with the great DMC, Daryl McDaniels, and uh, just looking forward to a good future with that relationship, do you think this is going to be a long-term thing? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that today, you know, um, in what's happened over the last few months is that we have worked on writing music that's just not the same old, same old. We, we really kind of dug deep and went, okay, like, what do we want to do? And we started writing and we're, and we, we got to a point where, like, well, you know, I think we're dumbing ourselves down, and so we went and we we decided to just cross a, another path. We're like, you know what? Let's just do what we do and not worry about what what happens in the end. Let's just right. let's just do it. And so cool. we started writing stuff, and it's been it's been a it's epic, man. It's 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 the most challenging thing I've ever done. I don't think I've ever worked harder on um, writing melodies and writing good lyrics and right come up with good ideas and trying to to balance the diff, you know <clears throat> into the, the riffs that we have and kind of you know kind of construct them in a really good way and and make sure that the song itself is once again you know here here i am just once again the song is the most important part of the whole thing it's there's no ego there's no you know there's no bullshit there's no talking about each other there's no it's just you know there's no there's no bullshit to it. It's completely honest. That's the best part. It's just, we want to make good songs. End cool. Of story. You know what I mean? And that's it. And, you know, I think, 
other things I've done weren't that way. I think they were driven by either money or ego or things, and there's none of that here. This this one is not driven by that at all because right. we're completely doing it on our own. So cool. And Bumblefoot is involved. I mean, Rob and and Daryl will talk a little bit about that in the uh, the interview that we're going to hear. But how long have you known Bumblefoot? I met him uh, about eight years ago. On uh, did you meet him at the did, when we jammed? When we did, uh, Seek and destroy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that's when I met him. Uh, we changed numbers that day. Uh, I stayed in touch with him. I'd run into him a few times when we did shows at Guns N' Roses and over the years. And I've always maintained a relationship with him. He was in Jersey, and you know, um, we always just we talked like every you know, you know. Sometimes we wouldn't talk for a couple months, but we would you know reach out and. I would get the random text, hey, dude, how you doing? Or I'd send one, hey, man. Um, and for years, we've been, you know, he asked me to, say, to do something on his last record, and I couldn't. I wasn't home. I was, you know, some things happened. I just couldn't make it. Anyway, so we always talk about working together. And then when um, uh, we tried to, we first we approached uh, Zeus about uh, doing this record, but he was busy doing the Rob Zombie record, right. which okay. is really cool that he went from, you know, doing small, now he's doing Rob Zombie, which wow. is amazing. So he didn't have the time, so um, I called Bumble and I said, hey, man, you got any time? He's like, yeah, I do. So that's how they all work. I said, hey, we're finally going to work together. So here we are. Excellent. So. Excellent. Cool. And before we, we get into the interview with, with Rob Machete and Daryl McDaniels, what are you listening to lately, Rob? Any any new bands, any new albums that we should know about? You always seem to turn me on to cool stuff, so I want to check in on what... <laughs> you're currently listening to uh lately it's um i've been listening to uh the last clutch record um cool is really good uh, uh witchcraft right okay yeah um uh the new the last graveyard record was amazing um orange goblin uh came out with a record and it's been uh just really good uh the new rancid's really good um you know, let's do a lot. When I'm at work, I, I get a, I'm, I'm building race cars. I'm building cars now, like hot rods and stuff. Right. And uh, so I get to listen to music all day long. So we put on, you know, um, you know, Pandora and play whatever bands I want. And sometimes I'll put in Black Sabbath radio and, and it'll play a bunch of cool stuff. And then I'll find all right. some weird band. That, this band Yob, Y-O-B. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They've been around for a, a while. <laughs> I think they around. broke up They've for a little while, but right. then they got got back together and they put out a great record last year. Well, the the record they put out last year is just hands down that album and the revocation album and were just amazing. And uh I had coffee today with, with Tommy uh Victor uh from Prong. Sure. And that album, the Ruining Lives album, was just you know, was just killer. And they got this cover this punk rock album they're putting out that's really good. I've heard some tracks of it. You know, and um you know, tomorrow I'm going to see Voivod and I know that I hope they're working on something new and cool and, and no, but I mean, honestly, I mean, I listen to a lot of things on work. But when I'm in my car, it's the staple, dude. I listen to Sad Wings of Destiny. Right. Uh, Queen News of the World. Um, Great album. I think I got it. I, I think I have, uh, I think I have um, the Yob album in there, the last one. Mm-hmm. I think it's in my car. I have like a six CD tender, and I think I have uh, Pink Floyd, of course. And I think I, the, the last one, the new one they did with the new tracks and the stuff. Um, that's in there. Cool. Um, I think uh, the sword. I think oh, the sword's right. first album. The sword's first album is still in my rotation from nice. time to time. Uh, so you know, I like to listen to stuff across the board. I really do. 
Excellent. You know, so. Well, thanks again I for setting. Wife, I, okay. I actually think my wife has been forcing me to do a lot of Adele lately. Oh yeah. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> dude, you yeah. know I have to say, uh, you know, I was like at first I was like, what the fuck is this? And then, and then I was like, oh, you know what? This chick can fucking sing. Dude. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, that's uh, Adele's in there too. <laughs> cool. Nice. Nice. Rob, thanks again for setting this interview up. We definitely want to get you back on maybe a, a month or two down the road from now for a more extensive interview, and maybe there'll even okay. be more news about your your collaboration with uh, DMC at that point that can be revealed. But totally psyched that you were able to hook this interview up today, and just wanted to thank hey, you. And you know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's talk right around the new uh, Mad Max: The uh, Fury Come Road comes out. Okay, uh, okay, I saw the preview, yeah. Truly, oh, my God, that's going to be the greatest movie of all time. You know what I mean? So, uh, my buddy John saw it, and he said it was just amazing. So, we'll cool. talk right around then. Sounds know? good. Sounds good. All Thanks, right, Rob. Be well. Yep. You too. little chat with Rob Dukes before we get into the massive interview with Rob Machete from Generation Kill and DMC from Run DMC. And that song coming out of the interview was a little sound sample of the one and only Walk This Way from Run DMC featuring, of course, Daryl McDaniels, among other people. Run and Joe Perry and Steven Tyler. Let's hear a little rock box right now on Talking Metal. Run, run, D
Way back to 1984, Rockbox. Long before they were working with Rick Rubin, they had guitars going, rocking us hard. Possibly the first song to uh, cross over from hip-hop into hard rock. 
And in 19, by 1984 standards, that was hard rock. Those guitars you're hearing were definitely hard rock by 1984 standards. Great stuff. So let's get into this interview with Daryl McDaniels and Rob Machete. And we're going to hear a little sound sample of some brand new music by DMC and Generation Kill right now. This is a very short sound sample of an unreleased song called Fired Up. Again, this is Generation Kill with DMC. Little sound sample. Can't give you much of this. I don't even think it's finished yet. But uh, wow, this will blow your mind. This is great stuff. Excellent. One, two. Cool. Hey, this is Mark of Talking Metal, and we have two very special guests here today at my house, actually, in Maplewood, New Jersey. Rob Machete from Generation Kill. How are you, Rob? What's up, man? Good to see you again. Thank you for having us in your lovely home. Oh, you bet. And the one, the only, Daryl McDaniels, DMC. How are you, man? How you doing? Good morning. It's glad to be in a place to be, because this is the place to be. That's why I'm here. <laughs> if it wasn't, I'd be somewhere else. Right on. <laughs> Daryl, let me start with you. I want to I want to talk to you about the work you're doing with with Rob and Rob Dukes, of course, of Generation Kill. Mm-hmm. You have sold millions of records. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You've been a, a celebrity for decades. Mm-hmm. Out of all the rock bands in the world that you could be working with, <laughs> why? And nothing against Generation right. Kill, because I love Generation Kill. Right. But why and how did you end up with Generation Kill doing some music with them? Well, um, first of all, I don't like to be considered um, a celebrity. Okay. I even hate when people say you're my fan. I always say, no, no, you're my friend that happens to like what I do. Right. You know what I'm saying? But um, I play. this is a crazy story. Um, Pop Evil, the band Pop Evil, had a big record called Trenches. Right. And um, it's even crazier. For six years, I've been hanging with Jackal, the band Jackal, Jesse right. James Dupree. Sure. Chainsaws, Bear, Bourbon, Bikers. They took me to Sturgis and everything. Wow, So I've been okay. hanging with Jesse and them a lot. Jesse and, runs um, that bar out there, right? What is it? Yes, the, the, Full Throttle okay, Saloon. Okay, right, 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 right. So um, make a long story short, um, I was at the Full Throttle Saloon in Sturgis and... Jesse's son, Nigel, came over and said, yo, you got to come see this band. So I walked over there and I saw Pop Evil and it was incredible. Okay. Got to meet the band and their manager was like, yo, you should do something with the guys. And I was like, cool. And he was like, huh? Like, let's do it. He was like, really? Like, when? I was like, let's go do it now. He was like, hold on, you with no managers, no agents, this is that. No. The, the, how I hooked up with, with Generation Kill, it's about music. 
It's about music. It ain't about record sales. It ain't about radio play. It ain't about being celebrity. It's about making some great music. You know, uh, rock and roll was in me since I came out my mother's womb. And right. when I die at 250 years old, it's still going to be in me. Right. So make a long story short, I hook up with Pop Evil and I do a remix for that song, Trenches. Okay. So we go to Rock on the Range last year and... You know, we come out with the Marines, we do trenches and everything, and all of those metal rock iconic groups that was backstage. I'm just there to do the surprise appearance for with Pop Evil. Right. Everywhere I walk, Slayer, um, 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 Guns N' Roses, everybody that was there, Biohazard, did whoever was there, yeah. Everywhere I walk, they like saying how great I am and what you here for? What are you doing? So make a long story short, I come out with Pop Evil. We rock the house. They bring me out. I do my verses for trenches. Okay. I go to the um, the lunchroom and I walk in the lunchroom and then um, everybody, um, um, everybody, Revolver, Mag, everybody just wants to talk to me and take a picture and hang right. with me and whatever, whatever. So Rob Dukes comes over to me. Yo, DMC, what's up? It's a pleasure to meet you, whatever, whatever. What you doing here? Oh, I'm doing something. You know, I did something with Pop Evil, whatever, whatever, whatever. He said, you know, you guys, talking about Run DMC, y'all should be here playing too. And I was like, yeah, you know, I wish I was, whatever, whatever. Then he goes, yeah, I want to give you my new album. And I'm like, cool, I'll be right here. But then um, somebody came over and wanted to do an interview with me. So when I came back, it was going, make a long story short, I go to the airport in the morning and I see Rob Dukes. And he said, oh, this is crazy, yo. Here you go, check out this album. I'm like, thank you, whatever, whatever. And I go jokingly, yo, we should, I, I didn't even hear it. I, you know, I go, we should do something together. And he goes, yeah. let's do it. And I go, I'm serious. He says, I'm really serious too. But then he says, take this home and go listen to it. I go home, put the album in, I listen to the whole album. But I've, I fall in love with Carney Love. Oh, great song. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I can't, you know, you know, you listen to the whole album. I'm one of the guys that yeah. I listen to everything. But then once you listen to it, you go back and play the song that you fell in love with over and over and over and over. Make a long story short, I call up Rob. Yo, Carney Love is dope. It's sick, whatever, whatever. Yo, let's really do something. So he's in Arizona. Now, matter of fact, he was just on his way moving. So he says, in the meantime, go see my man Rob Machete. He's close by you. So I call Rob up, whatever, whatever. We talk. Yo, I'll come to you, come to you, come to you. Make a long story short, I go to Rob Duke's house. I mean, I go to Rob Machete's house and... um. You know, we're just talking about bands we love, this and that. He's telling me the history of Generation Kill, whatever, whatever, whatever. And um, make a long story short, I said, I just started spitting some rhymes. And Rob Machete just writes a whole song with the rhyme that I'm spitting. So we, we said, we're going to do this one record. So come back over in a couple of days. I come back over, we make three records in like two days or whatever. Wow. Then in about, when you say records, you're talking songs, songs like right. complete songs. Ramachetti's wow. sick. It's like, don't open your mouth around him because yeah. <laughs> you will be doing an album. So make a long story short, in a matter of eight days, which started with one record, we had eight songs written, three recorded for a full album project. Right. Wow. That's wow. how I met um, Rob Dukes and Generation Kill. Now, Rob, when you're writing, are you writing on bass? You writing on guitar? Well, to be fair, with- the, um, before he came to us, 
um, we all knew it was a really special project. So we, we always try to take a different approach to writing Generation Kill songs. Like, as you know, we try to be really diverse within ourselves as writers individually and as a band to mix things up different, different, um, you know, different ways of writing songs, different members inter intermingling writing songs. So we figured, um, Daryl is a rapper he bases his his um, cadence singing around drum beats. So me and Dukes agreed on a drum beat okay. first. I sent it to me and the other two guitar players. And I said, the assignment was write 40 riffs to this drum beat each. I wrote 40. The other two guys wrote 40 riffs. Wow. To one drum beat. Yeah. Dukes listened to all of them. And then he says, Machete, put riff number 16 right beside riff number 27 and see if number 43 will work in there too. Yeah. So I, I listen, I pick out the riffs. I record the whole track myself, guitar, bass, drums, just as a rough demo. And it, I couldn't believe it flowed, you know, that well. Cause he ne Rob never heard those riffs consecutively together. So I, we put the three riffs together and the two riffs for the lot lizard song. None of them were mine. They were, Jay Velez wrote the intro and the chorus, and Dukes, I mean, and uh, Jay Trenzer, Velez and Trenzer wrote those riffs, and then I just kind of fine-tuned them and made them work together. Um, and uh, we sent it to Daryl, and that's when the whole process of the one song started. And then when he came to the house, he started just spitting out lyrics. He was on Jericho's radio show. He said he came up with these lyrics to a drum beat. So he just started spitting out lyrics. So immediately I programmed a drum beat real fast. I said, now do your lyrics to this drum beat. He did it. And then I wrote a song around his beat, around his vocals. He wow. actually laid the vocals first. And then I wrote the music around wow. the lyric and the drums. That's great. So now the way we're writing every song now, you know, Generation Kill sometimes gets labeled as a thrash band or just like a typical metal band, but we really try to take an artistic approach to, to writing stuff. Like we really want to just have fun and be creative. So the, the rest of the songs have kind of like, um, everybody has their, their spin on, um, you know, if I come up with a riff, it doesn't mean that's how it is. And I'm stubborn and play it like this. And the other guys are the same way. So we're all really collaborating, but everything kind of lands in my lap. Cause I have the, the home studio. Yeah. And instead of dragging the guys over, I mean, I played guitar and propane. I played bass and MOD. Yeah. So I could do both. And I've played drums. So I can demo everything myself with everybody's ideas. And then the song kind of grows from there. Got you. Know? you. So, okay. So there's three songs that are recorded at this point. Is that right? There's two, re uh, two recorded with, you know, complete. Right. There's a third that has, has some, the music's done, lyrics are, you know, getting there. So, so where will these three songs end up? Do we know at this point, are they going to be on a Generation Kill record? Are they going to be on a DMC record? One track's going on a DMC record. Okay. A song called Fired Up. It's right. more I of just a, heard it. You just it heard sounds it. sounds phenomenal. Yeah. It's like a stadium anthem. Yeah. That's what I call it. That's how I introduced it to him. Like, that one I wrote musically myself, and and get, and uh, came up with, and then come up with the hook. Coaches little league. Yeah, so like that uh, that okay. hook yeah, yeah. is a little league chant. You know what I mean? So when I explained it to him, he's like, "We got to do it." 
So I mean, that it, song's going on. His. It was like it's when I heard it, I said, "This is it's tricky on steroids." Yeah. I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. doing this. Cool. So that song's going on his solo record because it, it it's a little more catchy and the, the Lot Lizard song's going on a full length G- DMC Generation. Heard that record, song, too. which it's is going to be one. it's going to be a little more dark. Yeah. that album. Yeah. but just to like get a buzz going, we put the more catchy song on his solo record. Right. And then that third song uh, that you were working on, is. do we know where that may end up That's yet? That's going to be on the, the full length, right? She yeah. was a pretty young thing with the golden hair. <laughs> what can I do to show I care? My pants don't sag to my underwear, and I got a lot of time with some to spare. Right here and now, I do declare that those other silly fools cannot compare. The shell toe Adidas is the ones I wear. I'm going up to heaven, and I'm taking the stairs. And the <laughs> All right. That, that track is a little sample of that track on the eight-minute promo we did. Of the making oh, of the Oh, yeah, the, the, the video, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. see me playing bass. And as what happened there was we took our session to New York City to Platinum Sound, and we realized the bass didn't make it through the transfer. Mm. So they're like, he's like, I need bass to do vocals. I need it. So I said, just give me a bass. Right. So as you're watching that video, I'm actually tracking it like a one-take bass track, and he's in the corner singing along just for fun. But I'm like saying to myself, like, I wonder if he realizes I'm actually tracking right now. But, you know, I nailed it in one take, and he's singing along, and now everybody kind of got gets a little glimpse of a, that, that other song. Cool. You know? Well, for the listeners uh, today, we will link that that video that Rob's talking about in uh, today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Uh, Daryl, uh-huh. you I don't know if this information is out there yet, uh-huh. but you mentioned Bumblefoot. His involvement oh, is, oh my goodness. is uh is this something we can talk about? Yes, this, oh okay. hell yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. oh my god. What's his involvement in, in, in these songs? He's, he's pro- producing. Okay. He is producing like he's gonna produce every song that we make. Yeah. It's like sixth member kind of producing because really? it's not just um I was originally mixing and, and, and engineering the project with um, Nick Koikis from the band Undivided. And uh, we were basically just transferring our ideas to tape. There was really no... We was doing what was created over there. Yeah, we were just recru- you know, recording what we created in a way. you know, just And, and there was no production um, ideas thrown around uh, creatively. It was just transfer... It was like a live... Almost like live jams. But what Bumblefoot added was oh. this sixth, seventh member element to it, like taking Seven it. Seventh sense. How many senses we? How many senses do we have? Five. Yeah, no, not six. Seventh. Right. He made our regular movie into a three D movie, basically. Nice. That's how I I like to picture it. He he three D'd our our stuff. Awesome. And then he played. Then oh, so, he, so he's playing a little. On oh the yes. Oh sweet. Once he did that, it was over. It was like you know he wanted to produce and. You know, he tweaked vocals, put effects, and, you know, did mood. Mo- he put mood. But then right. <clears throat> he was like, you, you know, you, you, do you guys mind if I... And then when he came to the studio, Rob was <laughs> telling him... That's how he talks, too. You got his voice down yeah, pretty yeah, good. That's yeah. how he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's very humble and right. timid. But then um, he unleashed total hell on our records. When wow. he said, could I put my touch that's on so it? Cool. Yes. It's him. Uh, oh sweet sweet. Sweet. and it's good to have him because um i said he's the um rock god that has come down from the heavens to bless the mere mortals right 
And that's what he's doing with this. So he's going to produce tip the, the fired up song you heard. Right. Yeah, awesome. That's going to go to him. That's so nice. the next time you hear uh, it, it's going to be a bumblefoot right. solo on. That's going to be crazy. Oh, sweet. Cool. And we'll circle around and talk more about what you guys are up to. But mm-hmm. Daryl, if, if you don't mind, I'd love to jump into a little bit of your history. Is that's that cool? Cool. Yeah, people yeah I mean... Run DMC is, as a kid, I mean, my brother and I remember listening to the cassettes back in the day. And, you know, we, we had been into Kiss and, and uh-huh. Sabbath and, and rock. But Run DMC was that first band that grabbed us as white suburban kids and just made us go, what the hell is this? And we just ate it up and, and loved it. And I think part of it was the fact that that you guys long before you were even working with Rick Rubin I mean right. let's go back to the song rock box right. you guys took guitars mm-hmm. which was something that we were familiar with and we liked and you 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 know combined it with the rapping and a lot of times when I read about you guys people are like oh well that's because they worked with Rick Rubin and whatnot but you guys did right, that right. long before that's, you worked with Rick that's a great point you're bringing you up. know and and, and yeah. so so we, we can't we can't say that that was Rick's idea that no. came from you guys and right. and and let's talk about that specific song Rockbox from 1984 blows my mind where did you come up with the idea, like, we're going to do a rock song? Uh-huh. Where did that come from? Was that a conscious decision, or did you, were you rapping to rock records? Yeah, already? yeah, yeah. Well, before rap records was even recorded, the DJs, when we did the block parties, and when we did the house parties, and when we did the, um, the park jams, um, the early breakbeats were disco breaks, because disco always had a bass line. Mm-hmm. Rappers Delight was good times, boom, boom, boom. But um bump 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 good times and the DJ would keep that bass line going. Right. Heart all the disco R and B songs. Then it was um um funk jazz records. James Brown was like he made hip hop possible because it was always a funky drummer break. Yeah, yeah. But back in the days, in the same DJ's crate, in those breakbeats were rock songs. One of our favorite songs to rap over before rap was even recorded was Billy Squire's Big Beat. Boom, boom, bam, boom, boom, bam, boom, boom. I got the big, I hear the sound. As soon as it did that, you go back to the front of the Big Beat. Because you can't rhyme while the guitar's playing that loud. But we didn't know that yet until we made Rockbox. So 1984 Rockbox we just wanted to make Billy Squire's Big Beat. That was the whole motivation. And we didn't want to sample. And like you said, our first producer who actually died the day, the, the day me and Run played uh, the Christmas show here in Brooklyn in 20, We did the Christmas show in Brooklyn, which was Run DMC's first New York show in like 20, 30 years maybe. Right. But our first producer was a producer named Larry Smith. Okay. Um, he's the greatest hip hop producer ever that nobody knows about. Because what had happened when Rick came on, right? Raising Hell was so big. Walk this way, my Adidas, the tour, yeah. the Adidas endorsement, the Aerosmith combination yeah. was so big. Larry Smith got lost. Because it was Rick Rubin. No, right. Run DMC, Rick Rubin. Yeah. Larry Smith produced Rockbox. And he produced the King of Rock. Right. Also a heavy guitar song. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Which was, and Rockbox was the first rap video on MTV. Mm. Okay, this is a tongue twister. 
Walk This Way isn't the first rock rap record. The first rock rap record is Rockbox, which is the first rap video on MTV. Wow. All we wanted to do was make Billy Squire's Big Beat. Now, here's what happened with Larry and him. Actually playing on King of Rock and Rockbox was um, Eddie Martinez, who was playing with Quiet Riot. He was a guitarist player that played with Quiet Riot. But what had happened was when we went in to make Rockbox, it wasn't supposed to be the guitars all the way through the record. Like I said, we wanted to do boom, bang, boom, boom, bang, boom, boom, bang, vuka, 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 boom, and me and Run rapping. We actually made two versions of Rockbox to satisfy me and Run. Because Larry and I, we left the studio, we recorded, he brought Eddie Martinez in. And it was just supposed to be a, an ex, a, a display of how MCs and DJs used rock records. So we left the studio. When we came back in, they had the whole version that y'all hear today. Me and Run kind of thought it wasn't going to work. True story. Because it was the guitars playing with us. You know what I'm saying? It was just weird to us. But it worked. You know, our whole motivation was just to make Billy Squire's big beats. And, you know, rap, rock records were part of hip hop the same way James Brown breakbeats was part of hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And then we did King of Rock. Oh, sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. Then we did King of Rock. When we got inducted into the Rock and Hall of Fame in 09, um, all the head guys called me over. D, come over here. I want to let you know something. We was like, what? He said, King of Rock was prophetic. We was like, what the hell? What do you mean? We made a video in 85 of Run DMC trying to go into a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame museum right, right, right. with Larry Bud Melman of the David Letterman yeah. Show going, hey, guys, this is a Rock and Roll Museum. You guys can't come in here. And we scream, I'm the king. Or, and then we go in there and we, we pull the plug on Jerry Lee Lewis right, and right. throw the hat on the Beatles and pull Michael Jackson's glove down and step on it. They go, don't you know King of Rock was prophetic? And we go, well, what are you talking about? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't start till 86. Right. We didn't know. Yeah. Uh, hold up, but we didn't know that. Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when did Rock start? In 1932. We, yeah. we didn't know that. So <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and that's really crazy. Yeah. So we had no, the truth be told, we had no idea what we was doing. Me right. and Run were just rapping. Larry Smith. Jam Master J, rest in peace, and Russell were just taking chances. Let's right. See if it worked. When, like, back in those times, like, when was the first time in your life in the, it, when it comes to the music that you and, and Ron and Jay are like, wow, something's starting to happen here? Walk, Some, it was walk this way. Yeah. Because yeah. up until then, we were just rhyming. We just wanted to get on. We just wanted to rock. You know what I'm saying? We was 18 years old. We was getting like, um, when we first came out, we was getting like, you know, before the Fresh Fest tour. We was getting like our first gigs was like a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars, which was a lot of money for a kid. And once we put out, once we got the first album out, we started seeing you know seven, five hundred, whatever, whatever. But the feeling that this and it took all the way up to walk this way to make us go, oh, now I know what Mick right. Jagger feels like. But yeah. before then, we we man, truthy told, we didn't care about. It. Why we gotta go to MTV Music? Well, we wanna yeah. go home and hang. We yeah. gotta. We don't want to do none of that on so-called business celebrity rock stars. It was the right. funniest thing. One time, me and Run hid because we didn't want to do Live at Five. Oh, NBC. Live at Five. This was like 85, 86, <laughs> Raising Hell. It was 86. We was the biggest thing. Michael, we was going to do a song with Michael Jackson, and he, even he told us, 
Because when we was up for Grammys and American Music Awards, there was no rap category. Right. And we was going to do a song with Michael, and he said, you guys should have took all the awards that year. True yeah. story. Yeah. Well, there was nothing bigger than us. Like, it's, it's crazy. And we talked to a couple of people who was in those meetings. when they. The, the reason why they didn't give it to us back then was because their thought was this. Okay, if we give Run DMC all these Grammys and all these Americans, what if rap is a fat? Like, they didn't yeah, think yeah, it was going to yeah. last next yeah. year. They didn't yeah. want to be laughing stocks or whatever. Right, but, right. Man, we didn't care about nothing. We was just me. Well, me and Run was just rhyming. And Jay, rest in peace. He was the guy that would always go keeping the guitar throughout the record. And our me and Run's thing was like, Jay, what the hell you do? Was like, what right. the hell you talking about, Jay? That's gonna ruin us. So, I, I, I we have no idea, but you know, we just did the rock record thing because it was dope. Right, right. And and how did Rick Rubin come into the fold? Was that was that through? Um through Russell. Russell, okay, yeah, and what happened with Rick Rubin was because they were they funny. had the label together at that point already, or well, not yeah. not yet. It's funny how we're here talking about metal. We was working at Chung King House of Metal, right? When we we started recording up in there, the Beasties was with Rick. Rick Rubin was with the Beasties, which was a punk rock man. So Rick and Russell got to know each other, and then Rick would just come in. And sit in our sessions because Rick and the Beasties they loved hip hop, mm-hmm. and um, you know Rick was always around. Rick and Jay got real close, so they sitting there talking music or whatever, whatever. And make a long story short, after hanging around us, getting with Russell, I guess so. Rick and Russell decided they was gonna start a label, so they found this kid LL Cool J, and right. the rest is history. But what happened with the Beasties was the Beasties was a punk rock group which was recording up in Hun- Chunking. House of Metal, he brings these three. You ever see the Three Stooges? Of course. Yeah. So that who before the Buddha, you know, before the Buddhism, they you know they're very reserved and right? right. still right. great right. on right. stage. Right. But before then, imagine the Three Stooges coming in your studio and Rick Rubin going Jay, and points at the Three Stooges and says, "Do you think these guys can make a rap record?" And Jay looked and was like, "Why not?" Yeah, <laughs> the Beasties went and made a rap record, right? And that's basically how Rick got down with us. We was recording in a place that was known for metal. Yeah, and you worked and that that Beasties album, Licensed to Ill, which just yes. blew up. You worked on that, writing some of the songs. Yeah, we worked right? writing with them, giving them because they they didn't have. Well, I don't think anybody in the hip hop game had structure till we came right. along. But the Beasties basically were. Um, we kind of um, mentored them. Right. Now, the song like Slow, Slow and Low. That was complete. Was, was that a, your song? That was, was the Run, Run DMC, DMC doing that? Song. was already yeah. doing that song. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So where, where it goes, um, White Castle Fries Only Come in One Size was originally, my name is DMC and I got four eyes. So they took what we represented with hip hop and rap and took it and put their personalities there. And that's one of the reasons why the BCs was successful. They wasn't white rappers trying to be black MCs. Right. So when we took them on tour with us to the dirty, deep south, where there's nothing but black people. I remember on a Raising Hell tour. Right, yeah. The first couple of days, you know, the first three days, we didn't come out the dressing rooms when they went, oh, have a good show, guys. Yeah. Because we was like, yo, there's no way they, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But we would sit in the dressing room, they would start their show, and we would hear, <sighs> Yeah. Applause. Why? Real recognize real. Right. 
they didn't wear gold chains and Adidas. They didn't wear they didn't wear Adidas. They didn't have gazelles and all that. Mike D took a plastic chain and ripped the VW emblem off the VW Beetle and put it around his neck. Right. <laughs> so when the black dude saw that, they was like, "Yo, that's that's real." You know, right. they was they didn't. They, you know, they they wore the um. You know, they, they had their little tracks. So they had yeah. their little breakdance right. look. Before they got with Run DMC, where they was emulating hip hop, but once they got us, they know you don't be a gimmick. Yeah, do you? They didn't rhyme about old English. We was drinking foot and drinking um Bacardi and rum and coke. They're brass monkey. Yeah. So they took who they were and did hip hop, which made them great. Awesome. Now on on the Raising Hell record, um, obviously on the. The Aerosmith track, you got Joe Perry on guitar. Right. But some of those other guitar parts, like who played those? Like the Raising Hell guitar part, the, oh, the song oh, is just did. so heavy and, and distinct. Rick did. Uh, okay, so that's Rick Rick Rubin. played a lot. And then um, I'm trying to think who else played. I was. This is when I was drinking and sniffing a lot of Coke yeah. and being real high. We would always bring a, a live guitar. The only thing that was, was Gene Simmons recently said, for this rock and roll hall of fame that hip hop shouldn't be in rappers and a lot of us understand what he's saying and a lot of people was like agreeing with because it was supposed to be the rock and roll band live musician hall of fame but everybody was like yeah gene may have a point but running them get a pass because people looked at us because we made rock records Tricky was my Sharona was a rock record rick played the chords and dun 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 the only thing that wasn't real on Run DMC's rock records was the drums. It was okay. all, always Trump, but everything right. else was real. So Rick would play, and we would bring in, um, you know, studio musicians to play all the guitar parts. But the right. first two records was no-brainer because it was Ed, Eddie Martinez. Okay, yeah. Which so he was, was on the crazy. second record, too. Wow. Right, he was on King okay. of Rock. He was on Rockbox and King of Rock. So let's jump ahead a little bit uh, into, I guess, the 90s. How how do you, when you look back on that period of your career, um, how do you feel about the stuff that you put out, specifically like in the early 90s? Do you feel you guys struggled to adapt to what was going on in the 90s because it was a change of the culture? Yes, it's all in a book, too. I got a book getting ready to come out. Oh, wow. DMC never talked. It was always running Jay, making decisions. In the book. Not from an ego standpoint, right. but in the book, I tell the truth. Everything that ever went wrong was I had I wasn't allowed to make the decision. I just showed up and laid my lyrics and went home. Right. And there's other personal and chemical reasons because of that. Right. But in the nineties, one of the things that I did say to running them is, why don't we just do what we do? Right. And it became we were so successful that. Our camp became became concerned with staying number one and getting radio play and placing on the charts. When everything that ever worked for me was stuff just like I'm doing with Generation Kill. Oh, it feels good. Go do it. It wasn't about, no, let's change that riff so we could get played on the radio, so we could get top 40. You're 100% right. That's what happened with us. You shouldn't have to change with the times. You know what I mean? But when you're caught up in that you know, that tornado of what's going on, you know, in the small world I was in, I was in propane when the new metal thing kicked in and we, every, all the other bands, Slayer, Anthrax, all of them, they all either disappeared, took a hiatus or tried to write new metal stuff. It it was, 
Propane and Pantera were the only two bands touring. I mean, we, we had our most successful run when everybody was running for cover because we didn't want to go that route. And we were we toured America constantly. We toured Europe constantly because we didn't bend with what was current. And we weren't, we were barely big, you know what I mean? Right. So if these guys, they were legendary and big enough. You know, the, you're not going to see Quiet Riot playing like corn. Right. You know what I mean? They're Quiet Riot. They just play their style and that, you know. They should be respected and honored for what they do, and, and they shouldn't have to bend with, with what's going on, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what happened. You hit it right on the nut. I didn't, and the crazy thing for me was, see, I'm this little comic book imaginary dude, so my whole music journey was all make-believe. I, I, everything, every lyric, every song I had to get on my present, I'm the devastating Mike control. I'm still in Catholic school, seventh grade, imagining I'm this microphone DM, son of Byford, bro. Everything yeah. for me was make-believe. And one of the things that um, even in the 90s I was trying to get, you know, to show Jay and Run was, look at the beasties. Right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. left Def Jam, That's not because point. of problems. Contra. Right. They saw everybody was jumping on his band. They went to Russell and Rick to let us go. And Russell and Rick was like, why? What's the matter? Nothing. Right. <laughs> you don't go and say, I don't like what's going on in this and that. They were smart. They said, that's why in the 90s, the BCs were big, but Run DMC were like legendary. They, they knew us on Jupiter. The Beasties, who came after us into this right. rock and hip hop world, could go in the 90s and sell out the garden. Two nights in a row. Yeah. Run DMC should have been the set, been able to sell out 10 nights in a row like Billy Joe. But because our camp mm. fell from grace. If you stop being who you are. You know what I'm saying? And people always told me. One of the best advice that I got from people in this business was D, keep doing what you're doing. Like when we first got went to get signed. This is before Rockbox. We got turned down by, Russell went to every major label. And most of the music in New York was black ghetto music. You know, the message. Pimps, pushers, message one, message two, life in the ghetto growing up. You know, pushing man, it was, it was that. The major labels who was, you know, the message was great, Rapper's Delight was great. They said about me, there's no way anybody wants to listen to somebody rhyming about chicken and collard greens in St. John's University. But then Wyclef said, when I talked to Wyclef like six, seven years ago, he said, DMC's the only MC that can rhyme about Christmas and Hollis, chicken and collard greens and saying, make it gangster. Yeah. So I don't care in the 90s, I don't care how dope Kane was. I don't care how dope um, Das Effects was. I don't care how dope Rakim was. I don't care how big MWA was. Ain't nobody doing what we do. Yeah. And that was our appeal. Right. Son of Byatt McDowell. Oh, shit, you heard that? Right? Like, yeah. but then, you know, you heard, um, especially Back From Hell was really saying we back. No, we fell into hell. If you go listen to Back From Hell, we are all over the place. And I got to understand something from Jay's standpoint, though, too. I just, I'll talk about this in the book. I should have been strong enough to say, fuck that, I quit, because that would have changed everything, because right. they need DMC to sell on DMC. But what, what, from what Jay was happening, he was in the clubs, he was in the studios, he was in the street. So he saw New Jack Swain coming. Right. Yo, we got to do that, guys. Right. He saw, y'all need to curse more. 
you know, we totally, we even, we totally, I can't believe we did this song called Pause. I look at the video now. Jay got me dressed up in a tailor-made purple and green suit with a white hat on doing the running man. When all through that time, all we had to do was show up. We did rock box we did king of rock we did walk this way all we had to do was make a song called rock out put that thing and then go to her but we fell into the 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 whole thing this people say this we know there's hip-hop before run dmc but you guys started it but we fell into trying to be them when everybody said not even all those guys want to be y'all when we got inducted, Eminem said to us, nobody will ever do what y'all did because y'all the ones that did it. Right. So in the 90s, we should have realized, man, um, like, if I want to make a song about flowers in the 90s when all this was yeah. happening and um, native tongues, you know what I'm saying? There was a lot right. going on. And it, let's say this, too. Creatively, the 90s was amazing yeah. with hip-hop. I think it's, it's the most... Um, peak time for hip-hop run dmc was just the bridge from the old school we used the bridge which threw out all those people in the 90s they realized oh there's no formula to this let's be real but at the same time all that music in the 90s was well written topics visually and you know what i'm saying it was it was it was real it came down from showbiz we was trying to be showbiz to compete with them when I don't care, you could be the best MC in the world. You cannot go on after Run DMC. Even in the '90s, we did shows with Tupac and Biggie, right. and we would have to convince Pac and Biggie to headline because this was in Biggie mind. We did a show with Biggie. He was like, "There's no way I'm going on after Run DMC and get my butt kicked." And we was like, "Biggie, we had to tell him we understand that you and your boys in this room know we got an arsenal of hits." But the people in that audience came to see you. Right. Same thing with Pac. Pac was like, oh, hell no, I ain't going no. I'm, Pac, you know what we do, and you love it. But th this new generation is here to see you. Now, that being said, if what Biggie and them saw in us, and they here, imagine if we would have kept doing what made Biggie and them scared of us. But when we fell in there, I mean, our style changed, the sound of our music changed, our look changed briefly. You know what I'm saying? So it's a crazy time. And it's, it's in the book. Um, I can't book wait. When, when is this book going to come out? Yeah, you the think? book will be out in 2016. But okay. it'll probably come out 2015 once the, the editors see, oh, my, what's in it? Right. But, um, it's called 10 Reasons Not to Commit Suicide and You're a Rock Star. Oh, That's the nice. name of it. Nice. And you're working with like a co-writer? or Yeah, the co-writer yeah. is Daryl Dorsey. Okay. He's cool. known. He's, he's really known for politics, art. Every, he's out of Detroit. Excellent. And yeah, you but, mentioned yeah, I talk about that in the book Chapter like Twelve Generation Kill. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you're 100% right. In the 90s, it was crazy. We didn't come back from hell. We fell in the hell. Yeah, I got you. Now, you mentioned Biggie Smalls. Um, you, of course, did the song My Downfall with him, yeah, right? Yeah, soup. Off of uh, Live After Death. I was soup because that lets you know that 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 Verses off of party people, your dreams have now been fulfilled. We had did um run DMC um together forever live in Hollis Park. It wasn't really live though, we sampled the crowd noise, <laughs> but we had did that, and that's what we should. This is good to answer your previous question. 
uh, we did together forever. You're illing. We're illing. We're chilling. Um, um, we're making. We're breaking. We're snatching and taking the deals for real. It can never be faking. I'm chilling. He's cooling. I'm the king that's ruling. Remember, boom, but it was done with the 808 thing. We did that as the answer to answer everybody who said, run MC's too commercial and soft. Right. So we had, to, what, motherfucker? Sure, I'm, I ain't this tricky. Don't, don't oh, stereotype me with this tricky. So right. we did that. But on that thing, I said, um, um, I said, my rock is hard. You can't pull my car. And I'm a shining star, shining near and far, shining like the sun on a day of fun, always on the move because I'm down with front. I'm the cool and calm, calm, calm and cool, cool. I'm not a fool, fool. I went to school, school. My name's DMC. I tell no lie. And I graduated from Cooley High. I am the only rapper that will not die. I'm a gruesome guy. And you can try to battle DMC, but you must be. That record was sick. Yeah. So Biggie, he loved it when I said, um, and that's not all that was that was me preaching ain't none of y'all in this game ever touching me I don't care what running Jay's doing right. but I said that's not all MC's have the just for you even to have the gall to think that that's not all MC's have the gall to pray and plan for my downfall that's very kingly and a biggie identify with that because that's where he was at that was before he died he, so much pressure Pac was hating on him, East Coast, West Coast, but that very, that was like, shut up. And uh, what was cool about it, I was souped. They caught me in the studio to do it live. They could have sampled it. I was souped. I went there like out of all the MCs. You got Scrooge rapping polo and Buster. They called me. Yeah. So you show up at the studio. Is Biggie there? Is, nope, is Puffy the there? Who's, who's, Diddy was there. Yeah. Diddy was there. Yeah. I said, this is all Big wants you to do. Go in there. And don't say, my rhyme was, that's not all MCs have to go off to pray and plan for my downfall. But I think Puffy's, Puff, Puffy's funny. He, for publishing reasons, yeah. say pray and pray for my downfall because it's not the same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I did it. You know, I did it. I laid it. And then I left. And um, they sent the record to me and said, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know what this Biggie thing. It was like, Biggie, love it. I was like, yeah. so. Cool. Like, so that's my badge of honor. And even in the 90s, when everybody was saying, run DMC's fake, they over this and that. I was in the club. I was hanging with digging in the crates. I was running around with everybody. And it was, yo, that's yo, DMC. It was like, it was very, um, it was very, um, I talk about this in the book. It was very um, gratifying for me because having me on a Biggie record, having a flop album, so what? Not being popular, so what? I'm on a biggie album. Yeah. Like everything of outside of the of business the decade, yeah. is the thing that excited me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like even when the BCs came along and, you know, um, later on when we start, we, we we did an album called Crown Royal. Sure. And then the A&Rs at the label should never have anything to do with an artist unless they're going to say, go do what you want to do. They put us with, um, they were just putting us with all the hot pop bands at the time. And um, um, what was that other band we did? That was a single on a record. And nobody would listen to me. Even in that 90s Prodigy time. Prodigy was on there, right? And yeah, Kid Rock was yeah, there. Yeah, Nas yeah. and all that, which was... I want an album with the MC you never heard, with the singer you never heard. Right. I don't want Mary J. Blige, Beyonce, Rihanna. Who's that? That's Rachel from 110th Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? On a record yeah. or whatever. But at that time, it's funny, I was like, yo... All we need to do is go make a record with the Chili Peppers. Right. Oh, well. producer, uh, oh, I love it. 
they was they wasn't even looking. They they acted like this is good to Anthony and them. They acted like the Chili Peppers didn't mean nothing, because people don't realize this. In '85, one of the first tours we did on the West Coast. Check this tour out. We were headlining because right. King of Rock was huge. It was the Beastie Boys, Fishbone, nice, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Run DMC. Wow, that was our eternal. Do y'all want to go showbiz? That's where we should be directed at. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But Run DMC in our, in our label and Russell, they directed us. They kept us in the black rap category because all of our black rap peers and contemporaries started making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the '90s, poof, you know what I'm saying. If Raising Hell would have came out in the '90s, we'd have had a hammer time of another ice situation. Twenty-one million albums. Right, but it was different. So. My thing, and you know, for me as a little kid, even as a little kid, um, when when AM radio, we had AM radio. Mm-hmm. So um, um, W WABC seventy seven WABC growing up in New York City, and Dan Ingram. Right. It took five years ago, I found out what that was saying. I just remember as a kid, I used to hear this thing. Dan, I never knew it said Dan Ingram. Somebody yeah. told me that's saying Dan Ingram. But to make a long story short, as a little kid, when you know. You listen to AM radio, they play James Brown, they play Sly and the Family Stone, um, they would play the Jackson 5 and stuff like right. that. I never cared about none of that. And Marvin Gaye, I was um, Crosby, Stills, Young, and Nash, Neil Young, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles. There was something about um, rock, John Fogel. There was something about rock music, guitars, Hamal, Elton John was big to me. One of my favorite records growing up was the Doobie Brothers. Old Black Water, Keep On Roll, Harry Chapin, Jim Croce. which is something about um, rock records that was was more um, appealing to me than soul music. I was never a soul music. So in the 90s, my whole thing was, let's just make a whole rock album. You know, if, if they're saying Run DMC, we has-beens in rap, even though we were rapping, we was a rock band. You know, most people, and it's like you said, Travis Barker walked up to me and said, most people jumped on the bandwagon with Walk This Way because it was Aerosmith, you know, what the hell, what the hell is, what the hell is Run doing with them and what the hell their fans was doing with them. But Travis said this to me. He said, when I heard Rockbox, I knew I wanted to be a rock star. I talked to kids across the map. My brother was in college. He had friends in New York. He would come home with the cassettes. Kids that were listening to Metallica, kids that were listening to rock, kids that were listening to um, the Ramones. When we would do shows in 83 and 84 in New York City, the Ramones was in the audience. Lou Reed was in. Blondie made a rap record about Flash. If you would have came to New York in, there, in, in 84 and you would go downtown into the village, into Soho, into those clubs, Danceteria, Peppermint Lounge. You'd see Bam sitting over there, and you would see Andy Warhol walk through. <laughs> Fat Fat Freddie brought it, and that was the beauty of the hip-hop thing. But once we became this big business, Run DMC, let's just speaking for ourselves, we started to chase what we had already did in the 80s because we were so successful. And I always make this analogy. When we put out Tougher Than Leather, we saw 1.5 million records. Run got depressed. It's just like, yo, Raising Hell, we sold 3.5 in one year, which was crazy. I think the total we sold with Raising Hell was like six. But Run got depressed because, 
you know, Run was more of a opulent success seeker guy. So he got depressed. And I just remember the day, and I always say, well, How do I feel? I don't give a fuck. If I sell one record, I just want to get on stage. But I remember the day Russell screamed at Run. And then later on, I look back and say, Russell, why don't you, you ain't even listen to your own words. Run was depressed about selling 1.5 tougher than leathers. And Russell screamed at Run, motherfucker, an artist, band, rock, hip hop, wish they could sell a half a million records. What the hell are you depressed for? Mm. But we were so big, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I guess our downfall, well, it wasn't quick it was gradual but we started chasing to be run dmc like even with michael jackson tommy matola's the devil and right. the music i just sat michael down and i said michael motherfucker you sold 41 million thriller albums you'll never do that again shut the yeah. hell up and just get on the road right <laughs> i'm not trying to do raising hell again That's yeah what, i'm not i don't even have that in my mind right because it might not happen. And then I don't want it to happen. That's what I did then. But right. that was our whole 90s. And then after that, we kind of felt the only thing that kept us relevant, though, is um, our live show. Because in the 90s, we didn't do so much hip hop, but Limp Biscuit, Corn, sure. Marilyn Manson, we did, we did the Family Values Tour. We went to Europe, um, um, Ramstein. Our claim to fame that when people forgot about Run DMC, we was on, going Europe, Asia. We was doing rock sets. Wow. We did Family Values. We did um, Ramstein. Everything with us was rock. And what did you think of like those '90s bands? Some some people call them new metal. You know, like Limp Bizkit, uh, Linkin Park, of course, with their they collaborated with Jay Z. Were you a fan of that stuff? I was or? because yeah. all of them said because of you. Right. Um, Rage is my real fan. Yeah. Because well, what I liked yeah. about Rage was it was political and, you know, it was revolutionary. Right. But Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, Corn, um, 85, 86, they used to say, they say when Corn got really big, they people around him said, every time y'all came and played the Dragonfly Little Ass Club in LA, right. They Jonathan Davis yeah. was in the back with his Adidas suit on, fanning out. Yeah. So yeah. I love, I respected all of those mans. Cool. I love the sound. You know, Limp Bizkit was good. People hated Fred Durst. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I, I got to know Fred Durst. Yeah. Fred Durst said he didn't want to be in a band. He started the band because he wanted to be a director. You know, he's a great film director. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. He said he wanted to put a band together so he could make a video so he could have some credentials to show people. Wow. And the day that they were supposed to have the lead singer or audition singers come from, and nobody showed up. So he just laid the vocal and they got to the radio station. People said, you should just do it. Yeah. But Fred Durst, Travis Barker, um, the, the David Grohl told me, sure. run DMC in the beat. Come on, Kurt, loved you, loved you guys. So right. I understood they were doing it in the 90s. That's when I became really alcoholic. Instead right. of getting up and saying, I'm going to do that, fuck your DMC leaves and go solo and forms a new band. I was watching them be, they, they was kind of like the um, 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 the, the Caterpillar. They, you know, rock Zach, rock rap, Rage Again, all of that Lincoln was us. Right, sure. The Beasties were smart enough to put the live set back into their set. You know what I'm saying? Run DMC, we should have kept Jay, but then we should have went live right. and did rock. So I loved all it. I was kind of jealous of them. And, and when, when, you, when you got into the 2000s, you, you put out the record uh, Checks, Thugs, and Rock and Roll. 
That right. wasn't for commercial reasons. That was my last will and testament. I was a la- alcoholic, metaphysical, suicidal, spiritual wreck. I was depressed and I was getting ready to commit suicide. Wow. I was losing my voice. I was alcoholic. I didn't want to rhyme no more. I just found out that I was adopted. Right. What happened to me was I found out that I was a no. First, I had a t- I had a case of acute pancreatitis because I used to drink a case of forty ounces a day. A case, not just one forty ounce. A case a day. Alcohol. Twenty four. I would go to sleep at five in the morning, and my friends thought it was crazy. Get up at seven, go to the gym, and then start drinking from ten on but at that time of my life i was getting ready to kill myself and i was like and if you listen i went to japan and this i talk about this in the book too i went to japan for check slugs and rock and roll because um i got my distribution through sony or whatever and i went to japan and i was doing interviews and i did 50 interviews one day because I'm the type of guy I want to do it. We start at eight in the morning. And I'm going to finish at six in the evening because I don't I want to stay in Japan and not do interviews. Make a long story short, I got to number 49 and the young Asian journalist with the cameraman and, the, you know, and the tape recorder walks in here and she holds up Chuck Stugs and rock and roll. And she points at it and I go, what? She just said this to me. Very dark. Because if you listen to that, first of all, I can't rhyme. My voice was going. It was crazy. And then number 50 comes in after doing all these interviews. And, said, and this is the first time this whole day they asked me this question. DMC, making a solo record is a big deal. It's a big feat. It's history. Is there anything you would have did differently? I said, shit, I'd have made a happier record. Yeah. But Chuck Stuggs and Rock and Roll was one of the darkest periods of my yeah, life. Sure. Like really dark, and I didn't know I had all of these. I didn't. Know, I didn't know I had any purpose. Right. DMC Run DMC was dying, dead. Run DMC was dying, so everything that was Run DMC physically manifested in my world. But Chuck Stugs and Rock and Roll was just what I was thinking at that time. Now, when I look back, I should have just wrote a poet, a spoken word book or something. But yeah. all I knew imitates life. All I knew was making records. Yeah. So I did um, my wife, the kids, the things you did. But one of the records in it that was really important to me was um, Just Like Me with Sarah McLachlan. Sure. Because in 96, here, here's the 90s. Run DMC's falling off. You got rock rap emerging and all these new great lyrics and producers and hip hop. And Run DMC's falling off. Jay is on a mission because he's just fly. He's into everything. And, you know, he's producing Onyx. Right. He's in a studio. Biohazard's in there playing. He's doing Onyx. Runs a family man. Fall into religion. DMC's just drinking himself to death. You know what I'm saying? So during this whole period, early 96, I woke up one day just like, I don't want to live no more. Because if I'm just put here to be DMC, I did it. And the whole thing was... Am I here just to be DMC, the king of rock, Run DMC? All right, let me look at my life. Run DMC, Daryl McDaniels, Byford's my mother. I mean, Byford's my father. Ben is my mother. Alfred's my brother. Run and Jay's my friend. We're going to make one record. Hip-hop came over the bridge, changed my life. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover Rolling Stone, first on MTV, first with the big tour, sneaker deals, all the stuff that we did, blah, 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 blah. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm complete. I'm miserable. I'm alcoholic. I'm using my voice up. Time to go, oh. 
just in case I do go tomorrow, people know the DMC story is behind the music. We did three books written on us, whatever you could Wikipedia us find out. But nobody knows the little boy Daryl. So just in case I do su commit suicide or the plane crashes, I want the world to know about me. So I say, Ma, I call my mother. Mom, I'm writing a book. And in the book, I want to say this. Hey, what's up, world? This is Daryl McDaniels, better known to you as DMC from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. First ago, go, first ago, plan them, all that corny stuff. I was born May 31st, 1964. Mom, I know that's my birthday. I just need some more details about the day I was born. How much do I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? She told me the three things. Hung up the phone. I'm putting all the information to, um, together to give to the guy that's going to help me write the book. An hour goes by. The phone rings. It's my mother and my father. Now, I'm an alcoholic, metaphysical, suicidal, spiritual wreck. I want to commit suicide. I got this uncomfortable feeling in me. I just want to give up. They go, we have something else to tell you. And I go, why? They go, um, well, you was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. So now I'm a really commit suicide. But I'm depressed as shit. And then I hear a record by this lady named Sarah McLaughlin called In the Arms of an Angel in the Dark Cold Hotel Room. Something in that record says she's talking about me. Make a long story short. A year goes by, I get to meet Miss Sarah McLaughlin. That record saved my life. Wow. And that's the only thing that kept me alive. Wow. Yes, yes. Uh, well, what, well, it didn't happen like that. Um, I, I found out what happened was, well, actually, I met Sarah before I found out that I was adopted. In 96, that's what I was going to say. In 96, I heard the Angel song because it was on a soundtrack for that movie with Nicolas Cage. Okay. Um, and uh, Meg Ryan. Remember that movie, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan? Well, it was on that okay. soundtrack. But make a long story short. I heard Angel, I went out and I brought it, I listened to it every day for a year. In 97, I went to Clive Davis' Grammy party, and Sarah McLaughlin walked in. I went over to her and said, yo, your record's Angel. Yo, you sound like an angel. People say you're an angel, but you're not an angel to me. You're God. I listen to that record every day. I never leave home without whatever, whatever. And she looked at me, and she said, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Shook my hand and walked away. That was 97. 2000 is when I started writing a book, so my mother tells me that. Then after I found that out, I was like, oh, shoot. What about all those little kids, the orphans and the foster kids? They're probably just like me. Oh, I'm going to call that lady whose record three years ago helped me through something. I'm going to make a record that's going to help people. So I called Sarah McLaughlin up, and I was like, yo, Miss McLaughlin, remember um, when I met you three years ago? She said, yes, how could I forget you? You call me God. She's real right. cool. And I said, well, um, I just found out that I was adopted. I want to make Harry Chapin, which was for sure. some reason when I was little, Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Child is born just the other day. Came into the... For some reason, I love that record, which is a very sad record about yeah. a father who never had time for the kids. So something came over. I'm going to make Cats in the Cradle over with Sarah McLaughlin singing the choruses, and I'm going to put my life story to it. So make a long story short, she invites me to her house to make the record. It took us two days to make the record. When I was leaving, she goes, Daryl, I need to tell you something. Now, remember, it was 96, 97 when I heard the record. Mm -hmm. 97, I got to meet her. She tells me that's what music is supposed to do. Walks away. Three years go by. I find out that I was adopted. Then I call her back up so we can make this record. She tells me, oh, Daryl, by the way, I'm adopted too. I did not know that. Wow. So that it was that connection in there. And that's, you know, her record, it was just like, 
It was the only thing. I didn't want to hear no rap or nothing like that. But truth be told, though, during the period from 96 to um, finding out that I was adopted, I discovered something. I discovered Pink Floyd wasn't one guy. Right. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say by that was during that period, I really started listening to a lot of rock. Yeah. Like I knew Let It Be and Yellow Submarines. But then I started to hear all the Beatles' White Album and all of this stuff. Then I started to hear all more. I started hearing more of Sabbath. I started hearing songs that wasn't singles from these guys. So much my, my um my my progression to hooking up with my progression of hooking up with um Pop Evil, which led me to hook up with Rob Dukes, which which led me to record with Generation Kill. And even before I met Generation Kill, once I got my voice back and I got on the right track, um, I'm working on my solo album. It's just crazy that we got eight records for the gen, you know Generation Kill project. On my solo album, I got Tim Armstrong from Rancid. He produced wow. three songs. Okay. Um, I got a song. It's me, Sebastian Bach. Crazy. I love yeah. him, though. Yeah. Sebastian Bach, Mick Mars from Motley Crue, and Travis Barker on a song together. Nice. I got a song with Rome from Sublime. Um, I got a song with Chuck D, a public enemy, who wow. I always wanted to work with. So my album and the Generation Kill album is all rock. Wow. And it's when, when might we hear this record that you're, you're talking about right now? Which one? The, the one, your, your record. Yeah. Oh, the, the first solo, the solo album is probably going to go, oh, well, I got to talk to y'all guys about that. Are we going to put <laughs> ours out first? Probably so, right? I, I don't know. I mean, we got a favorite. Your solo record with the Fired Up track on it, would be, That's gonna be the a good lead in to our full length. Yeah. Right. right. Still so figuring maybe that I'll out. Put, yeah. All right, put it like this. My solo record is going to come, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> truth. Right. Yeah. But see, you know what? I think we're going to drop, we're going to drop Fired Up or for my solo record, which is going to, you're working with Generation Care. What's that yeah. about? Then we're going to hit him in the head with Lot Lizard. Yeah. You know, I, I guess what's going to happen, they're going to have their life, I'm going to have my life, but we're going to take the Generation DMC Kill and whoever wants it, and when we're not doing stuff. Because, see, for me, I think that um, this Generation Kill record is going to be huge. Yeah. And not from a commercial standpoint. I'm talking about a movement, some news. Everybody's telling me we need this in rock, is their opinion. When they hear DMC and Rob Dukes and what the hell? Because it's like body count, right? But I'm not vulgar or profane, but it, but it's real hard. I got it's you. political. We're dealing with. I'm talking. I, what's beautiful about working with these guys is I could talk about my suicide. I could talk about being an addict. Rob Dukes been clean 20 years, so every we could talk about politics and war and murder. I always wanted to do you know do yeah. that stuff. So you know what? I, I got to make a point. Sure. Because you know. Rob comes from Exodus, right? You know, and you know, being you know, there's there's kind of like a, a double standard with that whole situation. Um, with us, what you saw with Exodus was um, a, almost a watered down version of what Rob Dukes really is. Mm -hmm. What Generation Kill does and i'm so glad daryl embraces it too is that we allow rob dukes to be rob dukes okay um 
when he's with us, he may say things or write about things that just hit you in the gut, things that I might not necessarily say, but he's being honest and true. And, and this, this is more of an artistic project where I would never stifle him in any way. And then when Daryl came to the mix, the two guitar players were wondering how he was going to, you know, feel about some of Rob's subject matter and his, his delivery and all that. And, um, you know, from everybody thinks Exodus was this dangerous monster of, of a band, but they were with, with Paul on the first record. It was dangerous and dark, but it's a business, you know, and it was Rob can't say that. Rob, you can't dress like that. Rob, you can't do this. You can't do that. We don't do any of that. Yeah. Now, if it's going to cost us money or cost us commercial success, that's not what this band is is made uh What's not based on that. Like I told Rob... All right, Rob, you're not an exodus no more. You're not a rock star anymore. Welcome to the Artists Club. You know, we're the jazz musicians in the basement of the New York City Club, and then you got to wake up at 6 in the morning and go to work the next day. I said, that's what we are. So you're getting with Generation Kill and DMC Generation Kill the most honest Rob Dukes you'll ever see, you know? So it's like love it, hate it, whatever, you know? Rob was in a reggae band before Exodus. People don't know that. Now, now he worked for the Roots. Yeah, and plus that you know, for, for Rob's for Rob's career to be narrowed down to his work with Exodus, he did three albums with them, three studio albums with them, would be unfair because he had so much to offer that band, but was stifled. It was, you know, obviously the band was, I was in bands that had successful records before I joined and a track record and a genre, you know, the Propane and MOD had three albums out. Billy had sold close to a million albums when I joined that band. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to go in there. I had to adhere to their style and their rule and their, the way they do things. You try to, you try to um, add your little flavor to it. But when you're in a band like that, it's, um, you can't really stray from and with Generation Kill, the, the one thing we did on our first album, we put an acoustic track, kind of ballady but dark. Mm-hmm. We have hardcore, thrash, rock, acoustic, keyboards. The second record, we're all gonna die. Same thing, melodic vocals, clean guitars, mm-hmm. punk, hardcore, thrash, rock. This is you know, like I said, if it costs us a, a commercial career, none of us is. We've done that before. Daryl's done it before. We've done it before. At our age now, it's all about integrity. And it always should have been about integrity. But when you're part of like a business, you don't want to do anything to shake things up, lose your fan base. You know, people tell you to bend with the times or, or change. I mean, listen, if during this whole new rock era, you go on YouTube right now. There's a concert in Europe with Paul and Paul rejoined Exodus. This is around the time Corn and Limp Biscuit were big. Right. Gary Holt on stage wearing black Adidas sweatpants with spiked hair. Yeah. Okay. So even he was victim of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rob is as honest and pure as a person, as a musician, as an artist, as you'll ever, ever see. Right. And I him agree, yeah. being removed from Exodus it's liberated him now. If you look at him on stage with us, he's wearing his Ranger cap. Mm-hmm. Never did that with Exodus. It was forbidden. Right. His, his vans checkerboard checkered. Vans. <laughs> yeah, forbidden. Yeah. 
Rob, what's your... It's just ironic because when you look at, like, in, in metal, especially back in the 80s, how all the thrash bands were like, well, look at those guys with the, the posers with the eyeliner and the spandex. Listen. But yet, they, like, you know, here we have Exodus telling somebody how to dress. Well, this is the thing. Know? I may be speaking out of, out of school here, and I might get crap for it, but I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a metal interviewer asked Rob, what's your favorite album of all time he said queen news of the world right he got reprimanded for that yeah why would you say that because it's my favorite record yeah why couldn't you say slayer or venom because they're not my favorite record yeah yeah i mean yeah so this band you know win lose or draw it, it, we're not we're not compromising in any way and like Rob said in the eight minute video, I'm sorry your son's here watching this, but if you don't like it, fuck you. Right. <laughs> so that's all I have to say on that whole subject. We've been everybody's been really quiet about this, and I may get shit from it. Right. But I love Rob; he's my brother. Absolutely. And and um, you know, I'll defend his art to the death. You know what I mean? You know, that, and, yeah. and for and it's cool. Like I, you know what? It's good to say when some. I don't know. I just know it's happening. So that's the beauty. I don't know if, you know, I'm going to put the fire it up. The fire it up is definitely good for my first, for, for, for the DMC solo album. Because the progression for me, and the guy asked me, um, when in the book, the writer, he said, um, so this stuff you're doing now is what should have happened before all the alcohol, Jay's left to break up with the band and all of that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, maybe because for me, it should have been, you know, Rockbox, King of Rock, Walk This Way, Tricky, Mary, Mary, Fired Up. Okay. All right. But it, it was a whole, you know, the, 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 for me, and it's good too for me since I've never been really commercial. You know, Run Always Got to Shine and Crush Groove Our Movie, I had one line. Right. I'm sitting in a whole movie, right, really writing rhymes, saying, can't wait to get off this fucking stage so I could go drink a 40 and go to the studio, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. But the beautiful thing about this album is um, working with Generation Kill, Rob Dukes, working with Rob Machete, they're teaching me to write differently. I'm not on that 16-bar rap thing. And when you think about DMC's career, I was never Eminem or Jay-Z. I was never even run. My thing was four or five lines that will last forever that people will never. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken in collard greens. Rice and stuff for macaroni and cheese. And Santa put gifts on that. People say, D, don't you know? Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole, and Christmas in Hollis for eternity. Yeah. King of Rock was, you know, Rock Kim and Karis One coming. People came at us. Yeah. If you listen to rap in the 80s and 90s, smart little and your brother and i was there when you was just 12 years old run or whatever and run would say d what you got for that oh i got so i'm the king of rap right dmc why you didn't say you was king of rap because everybody in rap is low lifes i will never i won't even waste time thinking about battling you i don't want to be the greatest rapper right. i'm going for elvis juggler right. i'm going <laughs> to cut the head off of um um keith riches and that, yeah you know that was the rock thing but working with Tim Armstrong, working with Roma Sublime. I'm rapping, but now I'm being a songwriter, which is it's, it's freedom there. And working with Rob Dukes, if you listen a lot, listen, it's like it's like the white trucker and the black trucker sitting at the diner saying, "Well, I know a girl that that's the girl he saw." 
my thought lizard, you know, you heard the record. It's just, if I don't care, if he might say, you know, we're going to string you up and cut your balls off. And I might say, you know, I'm just going to cut your hand off. You know, we can talk about drugs. We can talk about politics. We can talk about... This the Generation Kill album is funny. It's about relationships. It's about love. It's about politics. It's about suicide. It's about substance abuse. But it's Rob telling his, the way he tells it, and that's what made Run DMC work. You know, there was a point in the 90s, if you listen to Back From Hell, Jay and these motherfuckers got me cursing. <laughs> like I'm like, it is me, but it wasn't. And what I was doing, not to, 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 um, when I went to rehab, I learned I have a problem. Not no more than when I went to rehab, I learned I have suppressed emotions because I won't, I don't want to hurt your feelings or because I don't want to mess up the organization or because I don't want to mess up the thing you've established. I will withhold my opinions. And my, my therapist said, D, the reason why you was drinking so much, he asked me this when I first went to rehab, he said this to me, before we start, is there any time during your Run DMC career when Run J or Russell or anybody did anything that upset you? And I was like, nope. And he was about, um, what, I was 35 when I went to rehab. No, I was like, no, I was, yeah, I was 37 when I went to rehab. So my counselor was this about, you know, 56, 57-year-old white guy. And I said, no. And he goes, he said this to me, you're a goddamn motherfucking liar. And he looked me in the eye and said that. And I just started, well, I hate the time when they did this. And I don't understand why people in a record deal will lie. I don't understand. They do, they, they do the worst things for money. Like, I don't like that. I don't right. like stealing and lying and stuff like that. But my whole career, to always be the guy that got along and be the nice guy, I would drink instead. And my, and my therapist said this, the, from now on, for the rest of of your life whether they like it or not tell the truth and that's the thing that keep me from drinking like i went cold turkey i don't have to go to 12 step because i find out why i was drinking saying it but here's the joke though i go so even if and i always tell the truth now i said even if my wife looks at me and asks me if she's fat and she's fat he said no not that one (laughs) true but you know that that's the gif but um i don't know i don't know i just know Tim Armstrong from Rancid is brilliant. Rome from Sublime came into the studio, sung and rapped 20 minutes and left. He gave me the craziest song ever. Mick Marshall, Motley Crue, he can't turn, but they put him in the booth. His guitar tech put the guitar. We did a remake of um, Ram Jam's Black Betty. With me on the vocals and Sebastian singing the choruses, Travis, yeah, oh, I gotta let you hear that. And the funny, it's gonna be two versions. It's gonna be the single version, but then we got a version that is 17 minutes long, because he started soloing after end, and we just let him go. And he went for so the, the record's probably four, ten. <laughs> it's ten more minutes of. It's crazy. So, I, you know, I don't know. But uh, for me personally, I tell people, you know, we, I'm doing spot dates with Run. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually. What, what's the status of Run DMC? I mean, when Jam well, Master Jay died, yeah. you know, Sorry, it, it was kind of it was kind of said that right. uh, you guys weren't going to do anything. Well, more, I, I said that for the longest, but then people convinced me. My, my, my good friends convinced me because they know I don't do stuff for money. 
when the office started getting a little ridiculous, they said, D, do it for your crew. And I said, okay. So we're just sticking to festivals, uh, you know, big events, We of the World. and it, But Run DMC is not a group. And what I mean by that was it's different. When you come to see me and Run on stage now, you see Reverend Run and you see King DMC. Oh, Run and D up on stage. But it's not. We can't be Run DMC without Jam Master J. So, but I'm, you know, it, not, this album is coming out so, so, so good. You know, my manager CD, don't say that, but I'm about to tell people the only time you will see me on stage after March 19th is either with my band or with Rob Dukes and Generation Kill. Because, and I, I understand why I got to do that is, and you know, you know what's cool about the Rob Dukes and Generation Kill? If you do come see us. You're going to see me, Rob, in Generation Kill, do Tricky, Walk This Way, Mary, Mary. Awesome. And, you know what I'm saying? Carney Love. Love. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, so the new stuff that's too, what you're yeah. going to get. Cool. Oh, Carney Love off it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Crazy. Right. I got to write a verse for that, right? Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the new stuff we're writing now, like he, he comes to our rehearsal room, we wind up jamming, Walk This Way, oh, we did. Rock Box. But then, oh, wow. oh, you know, then we have new material of our own. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, well, you know, we're not exactly sure how, you know, if we start off with like a, a Generation Kill show, we might do half a set of, of our stuff and then unannounced bring him up, do a couple of classics from him and then introduce people to some new material. I mean, it, it's going, we're not, we're not, we don't have this master game plan. We're just kind of having fun with it. And, and the, right. The good thing about it is wherever they go, wherever I go. It's, we can do stuff together forever now, though, which is, that's why I like it. Yeah, I mean, if he does, being that we're giving him fired up for his solo record, you know, if he goes and does that track with a DJ or with a band he's jamming with, that's fine with me. You know, I wrote the music, you know, him and Dukes and myself wrote the lyrics, but it's hit, I consider that his song. Produced by. You know, we, we were part of a song for his solo record, but that's his the the from from lot lizard on out i consider that collab. yeah collaborative effort okay. of, of our sacred stuff you know what i mean so awesome well guys i, I you know, consider i consider a lot and people say d how could you say that i know tricky's phenomenal i know lot lizard to me is an artist and writer and vocalist i met a lot lizard down cuz i'm living my dream i'm really the king of rock on that record it's my best record TMC's best record as of now, okay. until I make this other eight with them. The best record from Run DMC, my whole career is this Lot Liquor record. It's, lot Lizard lot. record with Rob Dukes and Generation Kill produced by Bumblefoot is the best record I ever made in my career. Wow. You know, the cool thing about this Quite a statement. Was, you know, I told you about the 40 riffs each that we yeah. had to write for the track. Lyrically, it was Truck Stop Hooker. Okay, that was it. The, the subject was brought together by Dukes. He agreed on it. I agreed on it. They separated. Daryl wrote his verses. He goes, how long you want me to go for? I said, said Daryl, just sing, write, sing how you're going to do it. Dukes is in Arizona doing his interpretation of a story about a truck stop hooker. That's it. They didn't hear what each other were doing until we flew Dukes in to go to the studio. The first time he heard... They heard each other was when we were tracking what you're hearing right now. And they're two interpretations completely different, even in the delivery, 
in the, the, the language, you know, the, you know, but the way it meshes together is magical because culturally and, and musically com- complete different ends of the spectrum. But for the only thing I, I, the only thing that I really realized was that Rob's dynamically should go first because his was a little bit more narrative. Right. He's speaking the part. Daryl's elevates, and then he, and then he sings the chorus. So it was like a, a slow progression. Oh, but other than that, that's kind of what we're doing now with the free, with the rest of the songs. We have a the next song is about drugs and suicide. I heard Daryl's version. I heard Duke's version. They haven't heard each other's yet. Right, I'm okay. the only one. The guy in the middle of this right. whole thing yeah, because I run the pre-production, and I, I'm telling Rob, I go, you have to hear what Daryl's doing. It's incredible. He was in London doing stuff with his other bit with his band and, and doing press for his comic book. He goes into a studio in Soho and he starts sending me lyrics to, to the to the pre-production. And Rob's at home writing, sending me what he's doing. And I'm like, Rob, you, you got to hear this. And he's like, no, I don't want to hear what he's doing yet until, you know, we'll put it all together when it's all done. And, and it's a very bizarre way to write. But when you're dealing with two vocalists and you give them a subject to hear their interpretations lyrically, attack-wise, it, it's a pretty amazing. You know what I mean? They, they couldn't be further away from each other but my job is to make them kind of work and then bumblefoot again he he's gonna be he likes the whole creative weirdness of this band too you know that's that's the the cool thing about it he understands this i don't want a sonically sterile producer you can't do this you can't do that no i i don't want to hear those words you know what i mean well this is quite a collaboration uh between generation kill DMC, Bumblefoot's in the mix. I mean, this is going to be amazing stuff, and I can't wait for the Talking Metal listeners to hear this stuff. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys for coming out to the house and doing this interview thank with you. us. It's thank been uh, absolutely great. And before I... Oh, can I ask you all a yeah. question? Yeah, Anybody in the room? <laughs> Have y'all ever heard of um, Pentagram? Of course, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yep. A little. There's a great tw- documentary on them. Really? What yeah. is it called? I gotta go over it. No. Last days here. Last days here. Oh, I, mean, I, I may have it. Yeah. I could give it to you. Actually, really? I gotta take a look down in the That's basement, but I, I may that. have that. Was yeah. From the really? Yeah. That guy is uh, was Bobby Bobby Liebling, I think. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh my god. Yeah. Great. Band. Um, into the blue light. Oh yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. That's one of my favorite songs. That's the the song that. They oh my god! Uh, right. That record is. I've yeah. said this is. I, I was saying, yo, I'm possessed. Yo, this is really some devil stuff. Right. I love Into the Blue Light. That yeah. record, and the first record on that album, the riffs. Oh, it's crazy. It's very, right. it's very like early Sabbath. Yes. You know, uh, but, yeah. With it, it almost has some record. some of like the Stooges sounds in really? there too. You know, but. Uh, Good yep, stuff. Pentagram. I'm right. That's who I'm. Bro. What are you listening now? Do you see Pentagram? Nice, <laughs> guys. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you being here on Talking Metal. Thank you. Fifteen, what you left at home.
you just heard was my interview with Daryl McDaniels and Rob Machete. They are working on some great music together. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Coming out of that interview, we heard a little bit of it. That song was called Lot Lizard, a little sound sample of Lot Lizard, just to give you a little taste. Again, Lot Lizard. It's a tongue twister. Big thanks to all you guys for joining us. Show your support to Talking Metal by using our Amazon link. Somewhere, someone right now is about to purchase something on Amazon. Before you go to Amazon.com, just go to TalkingMetal.com. Use our link to open Amazon and then make your purchases. You guys have been great with these links. And uh, listen, the support is definitely appreciated. The PayPal donations have been really minimal lately. If you want to show your love and support for Talking Metal in a different way, send me five bucks through PayPal. I'd really appreciate that. The PayPal account is linked through TalkingMetal.com. That'll about do it for today, but I want to play a couple more songs for you on the way out. This is Billy Squire's The Big Beat.
Billy Squires, The Big Beat. And to take us out, I think uh, this is a song that Daryl referenced at the end of our interview, the band Pentagram. Walk in the Blue Light. <laughs> 